0: Welcome back to NLP's Young Professionals Network podcast, Growing in the Green Industry. Today's podcast is powered by our Young Professional Network partner, Steel. Steel makes a full line of gasoline and battery powered outdoor power equipment for the demanding landscape professional. Find yours at steelusa.com. Your hosts of today's episode include myself, Miles Comparison, from Include Software, and Brett Lemke from RM Landscape. Just us two.
1: And Same thing guest we got a guest this time it's not just us yeah so this is actually exciting That's yeah good, the listeners are like oh thank god not oh, twice please <laughs> well let me introduce our, our guest uh doug mcduff is president and co-owner of landscape america doug has a bachelor's degree in urban forestry from the university of massachusetts amherst and an associate's degree in landscape contracting from stockbridge school of agriculture doug doug is currently uh, continually adding into his industry experience expertise and his credentials currently include Massachusetts Certified Landscape Professional, Massachusetts Certified Arborist, Massachusetts Arbor- Arborist Association, and Massachusetts Pesticide Application License Certified Contract Paver Installer, Mass Hoisting License. I need—I think we've got to learn about that one. I don't know what that one's about. And a Class A Driver's License, which are, you know, the CDL, awesome piece. Uh, most in- importantly, Doug enjoys hiking, playing hockey, snowmobiling, and vacationing with his wife and two daughters. All right. w- welcome, Doug hey doug
2: yeah i'm excited to be here
1: that is a, a we can go we can have the whole podcast miles on credentials right the value yep. of those and, and and clearly we have a good expert here of of continuously putting yourself through the ringers of yeah. testing retesting recertifying all those things and uh so that's some really cool pieces but um I, we, I think we first got to hear the, the, you know, the bit of the origin story. How does the company exist? And, and you are a co-owner. So who, who else is the owner with you? And so why don't you give us a little breakdown of your business?
2: Yeah, sure. Sure. So myself and my brother, Andy, own Landscape America. We started in 2006. Uh, we're based in Rentham, Massachusetts. So we're about 45 minutes south of Boston, about half an hour north of Providence, Rhode Island. And um, we focus on both commercial maintenance and snow, residential maintenance and design build. So those those are our four buckets of, of revenue, and um, we've got about sixty five employees right now. And you got to start
0: I, from I, yeah.
2: Where did we start from? It was just yeah, I. Yeah. So yeah, we started okay, cool. from uh, the garage in my in my residential home in Rentham uh, just the two of us, we both traded in our, our vehicles that we owned at the time. Andy had a Mustang. I had an F one fifty. We traded him in, got a dump truck and a diesel pickup truck and just started at it. So, um, yeah, so we, we kind of outgrew that space, moved on to a shop in the next town over. And then within, you know, I think within three years we were doing about a million dollars in revenue. Um, and we've just continued to grow every year. At this point, we're doing eight and a half, eight and a
1: half million this
2: year is our is our goal. That's our target.
1: I like the brand. I like the company name. How did that come about? Because it's just uh, very simple. Um, and hell, you could go all over the America with that one now, right? So that offers you options. I was I was actually on lunch break uh at the company I used to work for
2: and was just I I was Anticipating my move on from that company, and just kind of jotting down some ideas, and I just wanted it to sound like we had a big organization, even though it was just going to be myself and Andy. But I just wanted to have that that big organization sound, so that we could bid on larger jobs, and and maybe be, you know, something in the future that wasn't just you know a small little business. We we always had aspirations of making this um, a good size company
1: it's it's a it's got big britches i think you got right plenty of room to grow in that name there's that could be anywhere in any piece which i I, you know i think it goes into like what is the name mean and and what's that brand do and um and how do you really lean lean on those pieces to again get you opportunities that sometimes again that first impression could say that i think it's america damn they got to be able to take on this whole job for us right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh and then it's up to you after that point when they walk in right you better better sh- show up with it yeah
2: it was funny one of my professors in college he he mentioned you know the majority of landscapers or i don't know if it's the majority but a lot of landscapers have you know like their first initial and last name or their their, their name incorporated into the business and um his his direction to us was you know, if you're going to create a name, make it a name that you can, you can sell your business to someone else and it doesn't have your last name tied to it. Um, you can acquire other businesses and, you know, again, it doesn't have your last name tied to it. So it sounds bigger than it is. So, um, you know, I took that to heart and was like, all right, I think that's a pretty cool idea. And I can picture what our logo might look like. And so that's, that's kind of where landscape America came from.
0: Cool. So, uh, so you went to college for, um, for urban forestry, landscape contracting. So what did your career progression look like from how long did you work at other companies before you started up your own thing with your brother?
2: Yeah, I started, um, at a company called Hartney Greymont, um, which is now, I think they're part of the Davy group. But, um, so I started there when I was doing my internship through Stockbridge, I worked there. For basically all of my college, like my, my summers and winters, I was there. And then I was there for about two years after um, I graduated as a foreman. And my brother, Andy, who's three years younger, he also went through the Stockbridge School of Agriculture for landscape contracting. He didn't go on for his bachelor's like I did. Um, so he was only at school for two years. And then he came to Hartney as well. So we were both working at the same company um, when, we, when we decided to branch off on our own.
0: You just always knew that you wanted to start up your own thing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, not really.
2: I, I, I wanted to sell, like when I was working at Hartney, I just, I had sort of the confidence that I wanted to sell landscape work and tree work to people. And, you know, I, I always wanted to sort of move up on the company ladder. So at the time I had asked my manager if I could get a, a sales position there and he was like, no, calm down, like just stay in the field and, you know, do your thing, keep learning the ropes and, you know, eventually an opportunity will pop up. And, you know, I was, I was full of piss and vinegar. So I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to leave and I'm going to do this on my own. And, um, you know, it was, it was incredibly ignorant because it was 2006. Um, I was actually building a house like to sell my wife and I bought some land and we're building a house because the housing market was going crazy in January of 2006. I, I left my job in September, in August of 2006 was still building that house. Like, you know, it was 24 years old and then the market just crashed. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to quit my job and, you know, start a landscape company. And so um, it was funny we, we had nothing to do. Andy and I, we just kind of just started to grind and pass out flyers and, you know, just find whatever jobs we could do. We were cleaning out like backyards of like trash and debris, just doing whatever we could until we could get enough business to actually do landscaping. And that first winter, we didn't have any snowfall, so we didn't have any snow revenue. Um, but by the, by the next year, you know, we had, We had a decent amount of work. Um, the next year, I think we did like 400 grand, our our first full season in 2007. And, um, that house I was building, I ended up like, I couldn't sell it. I had to rent it for 10 years because the market crashed and I was upside down on it. So it was like, looking back, there was a lot of dumb decisions that I made, but it all, it all worked out in the end.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's a pretty good history to, to tell. Like it's a good story, like kind of, um, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah right. It's not all, <laughs> you know? it's not all peaches when you leave, yeah, right. Yeah. It's,
1: uh, you're, oh, I'm independent. I'm, I'm working for myself. This is going to be fantastic. And then, uh, yeah, pick it, I you know, but at the same time it did work out. And, and so I, you know, it gets, it says when you, you have to take that first step, regardless of when and what you do or don't know. Um, and, you know, and this is even just the most confusing time of the world right now. And, and, and we're all in these cycles yeah you know, I've, i have some team members this year that said i want to try something different i want to try something on my own we had some uh i had a hardscape foreman that said hey i think i could do something on my own in this world it's like okay you know there's a lot of risk behind it but you know to your story doug it, hang in there with it and you'll be okay have the but I, you know what did you know it, i think we often ask is what when you were going through those in those riskiest moments what was what kept you centered, and and how did you stay focused through that? Because some people just get caught up in that, right? And and especially that, those years could easily have over leveraged or extended too far. But what, if you thought back, what were some of the key parts that just kept you the ability to grow through that?
2: I mean, I think that saying ignorance is bliss certainly was was. Um, was the first few years for us right we, we we didn't understand business we didn't know profit we didn't know any of that stuff so we were just literally just grinding just working and it was it was um it was it was overwhelming but at the same time you know andy and i are pretty calm cool collective individuals like we don't get we don't tend to get too stressed out over things so we were just like dude if we just put our noses down and just grind we're gonna we're gonna get through this and then i would say like by 2008 i had and I was always involved in our, our industry, like involved in our, our state association. Um, But I think like a big turning point for us at the beginning was in 2009, I had applied for um, there's a magazine called pros and excellence at the time. And I had applied for like this pros of the year award or whatever. And so we won it and uh, we were featured in the magazine, which was cool. And um, at the same time I had, done the trailblazer program through, through NALP. And so I was linked up with Nick Benedetto from ND landscape. And so Andy and I went up and visited Nick. And again, we were, we were probably, we had just hit a million dollars and we were like 10 people in our organization. And uh, we went up to Nick's company. And at the time he was probably doing like five, 6 million. And he like opened his books for us. He showed us like everything going on in his company. He had us meet with all the different people in his organization, like his production managers, his salespeople. And I was absolutely blown away. Um, I'm like, this is this is amazing. This is what we want to be. This is where we want to get to. And Nick kind of has taken me under his wing and we're still we're still really close friends now. And actually I was, I was with them Tuesday night at the Bruins game, but um, you know, he's, he's just been really an excellent mentor for me and has helped us grow. But that was a big turning point for us was to see like, okay, what could this become? What can we do with, you know, this business we've grown to this point? And, you know, I didn't know again, what profit was or revenue or like any of the terms or anything. And he's like, he, he said, uh, you know, he asked me what my profit was. And I'm like, I had no idea. And he goes, dude, you're a million dollar business. This isn't a frigging joke anymore. And I was like, wow, <laughs> sitting back in my chair. I'm like, oh my God. Like, okay. Okay. To have someone talk to you like that, that's a successful business. I was, I was definitely taken back. And I'm like, all right, man, like you get my attention. And he just started teaching us about the books and stuff like that. And, you know, it was, it's been a long journey learning with him, but um, that trailblazer program and those mentorship connections, I think are huge. And that's what really has helped us grow.
0: So what do you take from that? Um, cause you have 65 employees now. Do you take that experience and try to apply that to like your, I guess to your people now who are taking on leadership positions to, cause I think uh, we might've been talking about this a couple of weeks ago about the, just like the capacity, like that people are, that they have when they're shown the way and like you're shown the way, then you're like, now I know where I need to go. Do you take that same kind? Like, since you experience that yourself, do you like focus on that within your company um, and doing that with your people too?
2: Yeah, definitely. We definitely do. Um, you know, we're, we practice open book management. And so part of that process, the reason I bring that up is because part of the process is teaching our team members about, um, you know, financials, but also teaching them kind of like the next step in growth and, and, you know, how do they get from the position they're in to where they want to be and so forth. So we're really transparent with communication. And, and, you know, when, when we see someone that has the potential in our company to, to, you know, do something else, whether it be move up into production or maybe they're, they have just a really great personality they'd be a good, you know, client facing role, um, like an accounts manager or business developer, whatever, we, we definitely try to, you know, foster that relationship with them and show them, you know, here's the path to get there. And furthermore, like, I'm super grateful for those opportunities that I've been given from, you know, guys like, like Nick to Benedetto, Bob Mafi, um, you know, a bunch of industry guys that have helped me. So I'm always trying to connect with smaller landscape companies that, you know, maybe haven't been shown that opportunity yet and try to, you know, if I can guide them in any way, um, I'm, I'm pumped to do so. And it's actually a lot of fun to do that.
1: I think about like in this story, if the younger you showed up, uh, right from the field and as you now own the business, what would you do with, with the younger you? Um, would you say the same things or how would you balance that off or, um, it, it's
2: after, after I tried after. to
1: hire him? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> why do yeah. I like you so much? And there's just something about you. That's just really cool. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that that's um, it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of people in this industry that love to share information. Right. I mean, Brett miles, you, you've both experienced that. I'm sure where you've you have mentors in the industry and, you know, you've grown your business from it. So th- that's the coolest thing about the landscape industry. The green industry is that everyone's here to share, happy to help, you know, teach someone like, Hey, here was a roadblock. I ran into don't run into the same roadblock. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's a unique thing in our industry. And, um, I've got a few employees that have come from, uh, like my business developer came from the private aviation industry. And, and he's always like, I can't believe how much information you, you and other business owners share back and forth with each other. Like we never talk to, you know, the other, the other aviation companies, like we never shared information with them. We were, everything was so closed. So um, yeah, I just think it's unique and it's cool. And I think more, more smaller or younger or, you know, whatever, like there, there should be more companies that take advantage of that. And I, I think that, you know, as an industry, we could rise so much farther if, if more younger companies and younger individuals took advantage of all the information that some of the the medium and bigger companies have to give and are willing to share
1: that grinding moment you you experienced it it, but you know but then the pivotal moment in in this story was to start thinking and working on the business strategy versus working in it and uh and that uh obviously moved it and so right for to the listeners that are you know and especially as we enter spring uh, the grind is very very real right now but that won't it'll keep things going and it'll give you opportunities. But the the moment to say that this business is, you know, grows to sort of take care of you or to help you rather than just, you know, bury you. It's to be very aware of the, the business part of this versus the the application of what we do. Um, so I, I think that's a, it's a curious position and, and many just struggle with that. That role is well, how do I find time and you know, how do you answer? What is, what is your profit statement? And so it's a good, or healthy reminder that 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 is a really important part, especially as you build, you know, something that could be new or new to you, or just something you have to really see, want to see, be better.
0: Doug, what's a like? What gets you jazzed in the morning, or like, what do you what do you like most about um your your company or your day to day? I mean, you know, it,
2: it's cliche at this point, but it, it doesn't feel like work to me, you know, I, I get excited to come in here. My, my team, they're all my friends at this point. Like we, we have a blast at work and it's, it's cool, even through the ups and downs, like even when we have challenges, it's fun to be here and be part of the the organization we have. So um, that's kind of what gets me going is, is just getting to work. Like I love solving issues. I love, you know, client issues, employee issues. I just, I love to, like, I get excited when there's a challenge actually we were talking about that with my sales team last week about how to, how to deal with when clients like complain or clients have an issue, whatever, and how to deal with it. And I'm like, for me, like, I get excited, like not, not excited that the client's unhappy. Right. I'm not like, like, oh, cool. That's great that they're mad at me. But I I just, (laughs) when a challenge pops up that for me, that's like energy. I'm like, all right, cool. Like we can, we have an opportunity to like fix whatever's going on and we can, build some more trust and rapport with the client or the employee, whatever, and show them that like we care. And then, you know, we'll be better for in the future as well. We'll, we'll have, you know, we'll tackle this obstacle and we'll know for the
1: next time. How do you all uh, between you and your brother, how is it broken up in terms of responsibilities as a, as with a partner?
2: So we split our org chart up in a way that um, I I manage the sales team, so I'm the director of, of sales, and then Andy is managing the production and operations team, so he's director of operations. So I have the accounts managers, business developer, and our design build salesperson report to me, and then Andy has our production managers and fleet manager report to him. So we and we have a good relationship and uh, it's definitely it hasn't always been that way um, Our coach Dan Foley um, which I know he's been on this podcast Dan's great and he he helped us I think it was probably three or four years ago to redevelop our org chart um, Andy was in the sales role and you know he wasn't getting a lot of energy out of that client facing role and so Dan kind of helped us do a, a deep dive and figure out where Andy was getting energy from and really he wanted to be in that production seat and so it it wasn't that him and I weren't getting along it was he was he was just not loving that client facing role so as soon as we put him in the production seat and director of ops he's he's just done amazing with that and so um it's been a good fit for us to kind of to split our roles up that way so we don't we don't bump heads at all. And then we have like a weekly meeting between the two of us where we, we, we just call it like a sales ops check-in. So we'll, we'll grab lunch and just, I'll see what's going on in his world and he'll see what's going on in my world. And we'll make sure that we're on the same page.
0: Uh, that spread's pretty cool. How about, what got you guys, got, uh, to decide to get a coach?
2: Um, I've known Dan for a long time actually um his business when he had D Foley and then when when D Foley um was bought out by Brickman he was like one town over so I've known Dan for a while and when when he retired I think it was probably 2016 or so we stayed in touch and and it, you know we were at the point in our business that we were doing a lot of design build um that was the majority of our business actually and I could tell that in order to scale, we needed to shift to more of that commercial recurring revenue um, and really, really amp up our snow business as well. So I knew Dan had done that in his business and, and he was coaching. So um, we just, we reached out to him and it's been a a really good um, relationship ever since. And he's introduced us to open book management as well along that process. So um, it's been it's been great. We've actually, in 2018, we were doing about 65% of our revenue was design build. And today it represents about 19% of our revenue and the commercial maintenance and snow is the, those are our two biggest pieces now. So we've made a big shift over the past four, three and a half, four years. Um, Dan, Dan's been instrumental in making that happen.
1: You're well connected through the Massachusetts area, right? With, with Nick and Bob and Dan. Like, so even though that state, right? Which I find is actually more challenging than the network. And I've always was more successful on a national level uh, at a state level where, you know, it's more comfortable, but, you know, it, there's just a little bit more connection or competitiveness in there. But, um, um, but I'm glad that all those names, I think, get it right. And even regardless, if you're in the same state or even in competing markets together you get that we're all there's either plenty of opportunities we all have our own path through this and it's not as competitive as as it needs to be um so that's great that you're able to you know get anywhere in that state and know and be able to connect well with folks and dan's a you know fantastic coach to have him in the backyard and that kind of piece is uh is a nice treat too so and you don't have to fight with the guys like the bills versus you know you all clearly like cheer for the same teams and you don't go against people in uh, Massachusetts against their sports teams. I learned. So mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. That's very true.
0: <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah, it's a cool state. I'm from New Jersey. So, you know, like it's, but it's all right. Anyways. um, I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious on how that switch uh, happened. So like um, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, I think it's a pretty common, um, decision especially nowadays in the past like five seven years has there's been more acquisition from private equity or like where people are looking for that recurring revenue so it makes your business a lot more um enticing to sell if you're looking to do that but also recurring revenues are is just a great thing for business consistency but what what was the internal culture like when you guys started switching from that high a percentage of db work to maintenance i mean was there turnover internally? Was everyone like, "Yeah, let's do this"? Or because some people just love the design build part, you know? It's like when maintenance gets involved, it's like, well, sometimes it's not their cup of tea. So, how did you guys handle that? It's pretty. It's a fast change.
2: Yeah. Now you you nailed it on the head, Miles. I mean, that was my biggest fear. Like, like I knew that was the direction we should have gone in for for years. Just you know, going through. Um, different conferences, you know, down, down at landscapes of Louisville and so forth. Like you're right. Like that's a pretty well-discussed topic of, you know, get reoccurring revenue in your business. And, you know, a lot of things will change in in the better. So I knew it needed to happen, but I was really nervous about losing um, some of our key team members, like our foreman, um, specifically my operations manager who had been with us since he was 19 in like 2000 eight or nine he started. So he had been with us the whole way through and and was running our design build side. So um, I think one, one big thing that um, we communicated with our team was that as we grow our client base and the commercial side, we're going to get bigger enhancement projects, you know, and we classify enhancement as anything we sell to an existing customer. So it's project-based work. So it's, it's project-based and it's similar many times as design build um smaller in scale than what we were doing you know we were, we were doing a lot of like 50 to you know 300 hundred thousand dollar backyard projects 50 grand to three hundred thousand, and our enhancements at you know in 2018 might have been you know like uh planting a few flats of you know Pacisandra or whatever but as we grew that client base we were getting more opportunities for bigger enhancement projects so We were we slowly reduced our design build over the course of four years, Um, but at the same time we were growing enhancements. So while we weren't, it wasn't the exact revenue of our design build in like 2018. It was it wasn't like we dropped it in half at the time. Um, The other thing that I think piqued their interest was we were growing snow and. Most of the time, the design build crews, we've noticed, you know, they like the heavy equipment, they like operating skid steers and loaders. And so we were, we were growing that side of the business, which was, which was attractive to them because they, you know, they, they love the fact that we're bringing in new, new loaders and skid steers into the company. And so, um, we 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 made some decisions that were really hard like we we sold I had a beautiful Peterbilt hook lift truck that I had bought with a tag trailer and it was like this perfect setup to move equipment around and like haul material off jobs and everything and and I sold I sold that I sold the tag trailer I sold this big excavator we had um and so it was like it was super stressful worrying about like what was going on in their heads as we were doing that but Um, luckily, you know, our, our operations manager saw the vision, he, he got it. You know, I think the communication was just really important and we didn't lose, um, we didn't lose any, like any foreman that I can think of. Actually, I think we have still all the same foreman here. Um, so we, we kind of came out of it pretty good on the other side, but that was my biggest fear was that the culture was going to shift because they were, you know, we were, we were not focused on design build. Um, and another, another big component of it, it wasn't, it wasn't like we were thinking like, okay, well, we're going to be able to sell this business because it's going to be reoccurring. It was, I was the lead salesperson on the design build and I was getting totally burnt out and wasn't really doing a great job like at running the actual business. Um, I wasn't paying enough attention to the financials as I should have been. I, there's a lot of things that I was missing because I was out selling, you know, $3 million in design build. So I had to I had to come to the realization like if we're going to grow this business, it can't be me being the chief salesperson here. I have to bring someone in here and teach them how to sell, pull myself out of that position so I can actually run the business and you know focus on some strategy and vision and you know making sure our financials are sound. Um, so that was that was probably the one of the biggest drivers of of that was and and that person that we brought in. Um, you know, they, in, in our position, you know, she's amazing. She does an awesome job, but it would have probably taken two salespeople to sell like what I was selling in a year, just cause I was working like 80, 80 hours a week or whatever I had to, to get the work. And, you know, and so it, it, it helped us to kind of reduce the size of the revenue of the design build to um, just to make it a position that, um, you know, was, was more akin to what a design build salesperson should be able to sell in a year. I don't know if that made sense, but.
0: No, it it totally, it totally makes sense. Yeah, totally. It's a, I think it's a, there's a lot of lot in there, but it's like more of like a testament to your culture and, and the trust um and the ability to communicate vision like that's the things that i caught on that like that it's like those soft skills of like i mean it's really just like clearly you're a good leader and like you and your brother probably just operate just a really good team um and that's and that's cool that you're able to do such a big business shift while being able to make it gentle in a way like there's a lot of subtleties in there like that you said like the fact that you like communicated from like design build to enhancements, like, look, guys, it's like the same type of work, but it's different different names. So like there's still um yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. Um I, I think that's really like well executed. But probably the best way that you could execute it if you didn't lose anybody. So and
2: then well, coming and- coming out of the pandemic too, the boom in residential design build, you know, it definitely gave us some some second thoughts about the whole thing is like, you know, all these, all these customers were calling for work and like the, it was just so plentiful. Like we could have, we could have easily doubled our design build business, but um, that was, that was super hard to just stay, like stick to the plan and not go after all that work and say, no, this is the way, this is what we decided to do. This is the path. We can see what it's going to look like in five, six years. You know, we have to stay on course, but, man. When those customers were like chucking all these opportunities in our heads, it was hard to say no.
1: It is, uh, it, it is true to, um, be very clear and intentful what we're doing here. And, uh, when we chase the opportunities then, and you build around those, then a lot of risk can fall into that space. And, uh, and so we, you know, I, I like that even through pandemics, you know, it needs to snow and it, you need to maintain, right. It, it's going to be those reoccurring pieces. Um, but be able to have the capacity to jump in. And we, we, I should, you know, our story is very similar to yours in that way. It's just, you have to embrace the opportunities. Um, and it's not about, you know, changing or taking things away. It's just building on it and and taking strengths. And so, uh, you know, and, and if it's about the people you'll find, like, I'm always like our team is like, we're going to keep you very busy. You're going to do the work that you love doing. Um, and, but you know yeah that this group you may watch the the department over there scale with people um but your tight-knit group is going to be very strong and you're going to just you're, you're going to be feel i want you to feel rewarded out of what you do every day but if if it's important to you that you saw that what you know what five you're doing that 10 15 20 did in that same department then let's talk about that but if it's about you know your own career path and how to build and there's a lot of pieces there and we see that the snow is a great transferable way for that construction group like that their skill sets are the best in into that winter activities and so it gives them a little um growing snow is a huge opportunity for them and so my I'm I'm surprised when you said uh you sold stuff i'm sure my father probably bought it from you cuz he loves the snow and the iron and so it, I'm impressed that you actually got to sell something in our business my, we never get to sell stuff we just keep buying things for some reason so um yeah, I'll, uh, I'll. I won't. I won't connect you too. So because you'll just buy hooklift trucks with fancy chrome wheels, probably, and just damn. So yeah, I got to give Foley
2: some credit, Dan Foley, on that one. He's he's. uh He'll come to our shop and look out in the yard, and he'll he'll just challenge, like, "Do you really need that? Do you really need that?" And yeah. you know, it, it, it asks you the five whys, and by the end of it, you're like. I don't know why I own all this equipment.
0: <laughs> off, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Why do you want to buy it, it Dan? Yeah, you take it, Dan. <laughs> then right, yeah, yeah. That would be a good reminder. If Dan walks around in any yards, any for anybody listening, just be prepared. Put the for sale sign on a, a couple <laughs> things. Yeah, I, I could have him come through our yard. That'd be very helpful for us.
0: <laughs> you guys, um, I mean, it. do you guys have a culture like, like where you guys really love the equipment? Is that a big thing? in your company or is that like something that you and your brother like we're into? Because I know some, that's like a thing too, like where just people get into this business and cause they just love dealing with the equipment. Is that like a big thing in your culture or is that not?
2: No, I mean, there was, there was definitely a time when we were, you know, when, when we were at the height of our sort of design build work, we had quite a bit of equipment and we were, you know, it, it wasn't because we love the equipment. We just, we just looked at each crew and said, we want them to be as, as you know, as, um, productive as possible. So each crew had their own excavator, their own skid steer enclosed trailer. And like, and then we were moving equipment around with like our big Peterbilt and stuff. And so it, we, it was more around efficiencies than it was like, uh, we've never been like equipment junkies by any means. Um, especially now I, I think we're, Uh, you know, we're so focused on, on making sure that like our, our debt to income ratio is at the the right spot and we don't want to take on too much of that, um, that debt. And we, we watch, you know, to make sure all of our pieces are as productive as possible. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're, we're probably like anti equipment junkie. (laughs) Like I, we buy a new new truck and I'm like, are you kidding me? Another, like another, you
0: know, another loan or another, whatever. So, Yeah. No, I think that, I mean, I think that mindset is probably, I mean, it's probably the healthiest as a business owner because every piece of equipment you have is another liability. That's just kind of sitting out there. So um, how do you guys, do you guys have a way to, to track costs or do you guys have like in-house mechanics or how do you guys manage that piece for your business as you've grown? Yeah. So we have, we have a
2: a fleet manager um, and, he actually sits in on our open book forecasts every week. So we'll do a weekly forecast and, and with the whole, like our management team, and we talk about all of our revenue, but also the cost side of it. So to your other point, Miles, like that, if we were to go crazy and like buy a bunch of extra equipment, um, it would show up to the whole team on our, on our forecast and our fleet manager would have to report that, you know, his equipment's way over because we bought, you know, five extra trucks or whatever. So there's that, that piece of accountability there um, for him through open book um, because he's got to look the other, the other people on our team in the face and say like, yeah, my number is going to be way above forecast because, you know, we made a decision to go and buy an extra loader or we bought, you know, an extra skid steer or whatever. Um, So I think that, that, mentality has helped us control it. and he's he's got a, done a really good job with our budget and so forth and making sure that we're staying we're staying in line on fuel and small equipment and and um and large purchases because we do we do look at our depreciation as a line item of, above our gross margins so it affects it affects our our margins
0: well you yeah, well that's actually kind of interesting so how did you guys get to that decision because i think that's the whole equipment piece is really interesting to me because that's like where I've really focused on a lot of like when I worked for my dad, like we did a ton of equipment analysis and understand like how to minimize the cost of maintenance and um, forecasting purchases. But like, where did you guys get to the point where um, you made that decision to look at your gross margin, including depreciation?
2: Well, it, it's really all about that accountability. Um again with with practicing open book where we're looking at that on a weekly basis and so every every team member's bonus is based on our gross profit that's our number that we track and so if we hit a certain gross profit everyone gets a bonus and it's all visible on a on uh you know spreadsheets and charts that we send around to the team we communicate that so um so that's the number we track so if we are to spend overspend in a certain category um, or undershoot sales or whatever, then it's going to affect gross profit. So I think I think just knowing that the team's going to see how much we're spending in that category, um, it creates better decision making amongst our managers and and amongst the whole team. Um, because we're all holding each other accountable for it. So, and and we purposely put certain things like what we would call above the line or above gross margin, because we want them to be tracked and talked about on a, on a regular basis. Um, like workers' comp, that's a that's a big one. Like it's easy to bury workers' comp down below in overhead, right? But then when you talk about how many accidents or your moderate or whatever the team, it's it's tougher for them to connect the dots and see that, you know, does it really affect me? Or is that just like the, you know, the corporate... know corporate's going to pay for that or whatever even though we're not corporate but i'm just saying like you know someone else is going to take care of that like landscape america's overheads going to eat that but when you put it in front of them say like no this is actually important and it's affecting our numbers and we're going to talk about and explain why it's important and why you know we have to be safe and not have workers comp accidents it it brings it up on a regular basis and then the team actually thinks about it and you know if they if they get stung by a bee, they're not going to run to, you know, the emergency room and, and get a sort of workers comp claim. They're going to go, all right, well, I, you know, I understand the ramifications of doing that. Um, and, and the same thing with if we buy too much equipment or too much material, whatever those topics of conversation happen and it gives the team some ownership thinking.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, the, the other line item, then this is like uh, this, That those are all really cool ideas. Um, the other line item that I've recently kind of learned about and uh, was putting like the non-production or indirect time uh, that the production guys are doing like an actual dollar amount, not just the hours, right? So um, there's a lot of tracking around like what percentage of your total, pr- your t- time is spent on non-production task, right? Internal travel, load on load versus production. That percentage is really important, but also putting like um, an actual dollar value on that and putting that right underneath the direct labor line on your PL, you put indirect labor. And then, so that, that's actually a really interesting piece because usually when you think about it, about hours, it's controllable. But then once managers start seeing the actual dollar impact of like how much you're spending for to pay for people to drive around or to like load up or unload their trucks or safety meetings and all that training, it, it's, a, it's a pretty cool way of looking at it. I don't know if you guys do that or not, but there's just another idea that, um, I thought it was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, we
2: have, we have different cost codes that our, our employees punch into for like training and safety talks. And then there's like the, the, the load up unload time in the morning and, and windshield time and so forth when you're driving. So yeah, we, so we do, we do focus on that. And a lot of our discussions around like driving waste out of the business are focused on those particular things in the morning an afternoon routine and then drive time, because that's, that's the biggest low hanging fruit. Right. I mean, if we can, if we can be efficient in those uh, spaces, we're going to do a lot better because we found that most of the time, like our team's not being inefficient when they're doing the productive work. Like they're not, they're not being inefficient mowing the lawn or being inefficient, installing the patio or planting the tree. It's the stuff that leads up to it and the stuff that happens after it. That's where we have the waste so we try to focus on those activities to drive out the waste, as opposed to saying like, no, you got to, you got to plant that tree faster. You got to mow that lawn faster or whatever, because they're usually doing those activities efficient from what we can tell.
1: There's uh, some of the hardest things to track and, and manage through uh, it- you know, the circumstances of, you know, that reliable reliable piece of equipment doesn't break down the side of the road or we spent longer times at the nursery waiting for plant material. You know, we we um though that the list of things that sort of fall in that indirect or uh, sort of we that we call the differential time uh is just tremendous versus just the task, mulch, put that tree in the ground, mow that, you know, ten thousand square foot very easy to get on and say, Yeah, let me put that stopwatch on you yeah, on that kind of piece. And so, um it, it, it is miles, you're right to say, if you wanted to really understand your business more and understand that category uh, just as well or better than um, that of the direct hours. Um, and you'll find a lot of opportunity uh, right in that space.
0: Yeah. I mean, the easiest, the simplest way that I've explained it to people who haven't done that before is just like, just do the pure percentage time, just like set a budget, say what total capacity of hours do we have? And then set a budget of X percent is just going to be put into non-productive time. Usually that's something like an 80, 20, or maybe like 15%. If you're really local in like urban environments, that can be like 10, um, you know, something like that. But that's, I think that's the easiest way of doing it, but you're totally right. Yeah. How do you guys, how do you guys manage that though, Doug? Like what's, it's really easy to talk about, like from a metrics point of view, but like, how do you manage through that on your teams? Like what are some day-to-day things that have made a difference for your teams uh we we have
2: we have weekly meetings with the team and at that those are opportunities where we have a captive audience for us to discuss those types of things so you know we'll just try to train on again like morning routine uh we'll set goals to get out of the yard by you know 7 a.m or whatever we'll we'll strategize around the foreman allowed to punch in at this time and they have to do their circle check and and get their job packet from production manager. And then the crew members then get to punch in like five minutes before seven. And so we're just trying to minimize like the standing around the, the the shop talk and that sort of stuff in the morning and and have the crews know that it's really important to get out of the yard because that's all the, it's all just time that erodes our, our margins. Um, So, yeah, I think it's just a lot of, it's a lot of meetings and discussions and messaging and, and um, you know, we'll recalibrate the yard probably every six months to see like, where's there's, where is, is their waste in the yard to make sure that it's a good flow. Um, especially like the PM routine when the, when the crews come back to the yard, we try to set our yard up in a circular format. So they, they go from one station to the next, like they dispose of their trash, they dump their truck, they disconnect the trailer, they, you know, go and fill out the paperwork. And so we try to set it up in a way that is, is functionally driving waste out, but inherently, things always pop up and change. And so it's, it's a constant sort of battle and a constant like reminder to sit down and look at how the flow is working in the yard and see if we can find little, little pieces that we can improve upon in order to to drive out that waste.
0: That's, I mean, yeah, that makes sense to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and, and then that discipline to, to do that, right. How often are we just sort of caught up to that? And then we leave it to the wintertime to replan and, and, you know, think, but, In those moments you could have you know little steps like that and in having those uh those check-in points you know that that's a mental note for me tonight today it was just this doesn't have to wait until we're not busy or um and move on because there's just never such a time to in that world but it is this is a moment to say how is this functioning and is it functioning well for us and uh and it'll, it'll produce little moments like that it'll twist and tweak things. I mean, 49 years, right. And your business, how often we still talk about morning routines and AM shut PM shutdowns. It's like, it just can't get out of our, our, uh, our day-to-day conversations. It's amazing how we've just, at least we have not figured out that space over all these years.
2: No, no, we, we, we talk about it constantly. And like you said, Brett, every winter, it's like, all right, let's, let's look at the, the site plan and develop this and recreate it. And then you go, couple months and then you know by the time you get to summer everyone's just exhausted the wheels start to fall off and you gotta like pull everyone back in together it's here let's what do we decide on back in march and you know what, what do we where did it fall off and what do we got to do to get it
1: back on track the enthusiasm in the spring right especially in the northeast market you come out of snow you're like i'll do whatever right bring by nice weather let's go and uh and the, the you know the organization is at its highest. the you know but that doesn't hold on for very long, right? Give it a couple, a month of spring and you quickly realize like, oh, geez, maybe that plowing day was pretty cool and I'd like to get back to winter. And so uh, the, the the mental game that we have to play with and the intensity of, uh, of, of you know, short market seasons, um, yeah, you, you have to keep those kind of points of check-in or or it's just going to resort back quickly to, you know, things that, you know, the best laid plans just sort of sit there and idle those damn florida people it's just the same sunny day every day down there in florida nothing to worry about um no i I, we have to probably have somebody miles that comes on as a guest that says you know you all think that these 12-month seasons are easier Uh, we'll have that debate someone's gonna have to have that debate with us
0: yeah we definitely need to i mean we gotta play like texas people too you know
1: yeah yeah california Cause I clearly, I mean, I think that the three of us are quite biased. Like, yeah, but you don't have to deal with this. And, and I know they have a counterpoint to that. I'm just, I'm probably not going to be interested in listening to it, but I'll, uh, I'll give it a try. I think winters
2: I mean, used to be for planning, but now it's yeah, you know, right. You used to think like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get that done in the winter, get that done in the winter. And it's like, I feel like now, we we wake up at you know in in february and we've been going 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 the whole time we go oh, oh crap like we have like four weeks until like like kickoff and we haven't done any of the stuff that we said we we're going to do because we we're so busy snow plowing and you know whatever yeah. like it's it's crazy you never get it all done
1: no and and, and uh, you know i think you apply the appropriate amount of pressure to say that like it's not ever meant to all get done uh but how do you plan through it and that you know a lot of coaching for me these days is start thinking six months in advance. And so that we're not just getting caught up in those moments. And so snow should be thought about in June, you know, spring should be thought about in like the fall and the winter. Right. And so it's uh, if that happens, then we're not, you know, saying, you know, geez, it's just snowed for the last four weeks. You know, and we are all in operations. What, what else could we have done? And you're like, no, you're right. That's you needed to be there. But we also know that in four more weeks, uh, it's going to be 65 degrees out and we got to go and it, it there's nothing waits. And I agree. I, there was years where our winters were much more calm, but we were probably not as intense in our snow business. Now that snow is a big part right, of our, both our worlds. Right. And uh, it, uh, it, it's just as busy as any spring uh, you know, winter is just like a full-time spring mode. There's there's no calm such thing as a calm winter. no, no, I haven't experienced. Maybe you, maybe, I don't know, maybe miles, right. When you're not doing the plowing, maybe it's a yeah, you you enjoyable yeah. winter.
0: Yeah. And Jersey is a little bit, you don't, we don't mm-hmm. get as much snow as like you guys like way up North. So we have like, we had like two weeks where the whole company could shut down. Um, I think now it's like a week that the company shuts down. I'm not there anymore, but um, it's funny because like, now that I've been software for a bit, we we operate just like pretty much like on a continuous like week by week or month by rolling like deers don't matter like seasons yeah so yeah yeah it's really funny because like i i I, 70
1: degrees inside every day right
0: yeah yeah well yeah (laughs) yeah exactly we don't well we have seasonality because of our customers right um but like when we talk about strategy and stuff there's no like no like we're gonna strategize that in december it's like we're strategizing right now um Mm And, and the strategies is always being changing. And like, and that's in my position, it's like, we're always like, I'm always re-strategizing at least like every two weeks um, or, or like in a like every month or so, just at, at least every month I'm, I'm re-strategizing, but our plan is are looking at the strategy. So um, it's, it's, it, and it's helped because you, the, the little work that you do every month adds up over time versus like waiting to do this like big annual thing um, to crush it. So um, but I think that you need to have those annual or, or like biannual type events to get the team stoked and everyone like pumped up, but as a, as a leader, um, and in few, I think if you want to grow a team, well, you have to be strategizing like that often, but I only put like two, two to four hours, uh, like of thinking time to it. And that's usually enough because over time, you know, like that's, that's good so and you're you're
1: more efficient with that right as, as you practice it more you can get a lot more done in a shorter mm-hmm. amount of time right rather than exactly never thought of this before how do i think about this and you're, you're it's just going to take more time to that ramp up piece so consistency yeah. and little little more more frequency of strategic thinking is uh you know uh, probably a smart smart idea i mean i could
0: yeah i could we're, we're getting closer to our time i could talk about this like all day but like um it's like the whole idea, like where I don't do this anymore, but I know when I was working for my dad, it was like, okay, where are those spreadsheets again? Okay. Where like, where do we put those docs again? Like, like it was just like this whole like reboot of like looking at what we did at the end of the year versus now, like, it's just, I just treat it as like this, like rolling forever, right. In perpetuity until something changes and that skill set doesn't get, is not forgotten or like those documents are not thrown away. Cause like looking at them, At least touching them pretty often. So, I don't know. I think I think the as as things change, especially in the northern businesses for landscaping, that mindset will like you guys will have to adopt like that kind of mindset too, as you're saying, right? Because if you're busy all the time, then like when do you actually have to do the important work, which is strategize? So you kind of have to make the time throughout the whole, just spread that spread that work throughout the whole year. I think I don't know.
2: I I think that's super interesting, Miles. Because um, and maybe this is a topic for another podcast for you guys but um, (laughs) like we we normally did like a one one day like big strategic planning event always in december like end of the season wrap up what's going to happen next year where are we going five-year plan three-year plan all that sort of stuff and this year we we pulled our team afterwards and we asked them like how's the messaging been through the course of the year like did did we do a good job with explaining like throughout the year, how you know we were executing the plan and what was happening um, compared to what we had talked about. And the team gave us the feedback that they want to have those meetings happen more often, either quarterly or or twice a year. And so, you know, that was like that was eye-opening for me because I thought that I was boring them to death with the strategy and the planning, and that sort of stuff and making them sit through this meeting. Um, so yeah, I'd be curious to to know how how you guys do that Brett and other landscapers too Um, because I do think the small strategy meet or or the shorter uh span in between strategy meetings it it reminds everyone what the goal is and what the vision is and why we're doing this and a lot of our teamers had forgotten some of our big initiatives um over the course of that 12 months um and we had to remind them of it and, and it was it was Eye-opening for me to hear them say, "No, I want to hear this stuff more and know where we're going more often, be reminded of the goals."
0: Well, and and I think the big thing there is that as a owner or uh, if you're a high-level manager or leader, you're always thinking about these things. You always know where the big picture is, so in your head, you're always thinking about it. But really, not many people aren't. Everyone else in the company is not really thinking about it at all. So it feels like you're communicating too much, or you're like, you're like, gosh, I'm like, am I oversharing? But in reality, that's not the truth. It's like you just, you just gotta be that reminder. And like that feeling of like over for me, at least it was like, I felt like I was being a burden because I was like, I'm over communicating, like what the vision is. And like, you guys have heard this already, but it's not true at all. And for me to be a clear communicator, I need to revisit it often. So that way it's like, is what I'm saying true or did circumstances switch where this may not be true? Like where it was true, like three months ago, you know? Or you're like, what? of course
2: you know where we're going. Like, what do you mean exactly. you know where exactly. we're
0: going? Exactly. That's <laughs> All I'm up like in my head. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, why it's isn't like, it not? I told you once. I told you once. And it's like,
1: <laughs> when you, when you I wrote can, it down. When you have the high, you know, good team and a high level of trust in them, or in, in, then it's, it feels and they want to know that information, you know, for those that feel like that, that shouldn't be information I share. Right. And, that, and that's the whole open book management conversation too. It's just when you get that information out and you've got more people thinking about the problems that you're working on, or the, you know, maybe it's not all good news that's coming out of this it's, and there's a better opportunity. And, I, and I'm constantly reminded that sometimes it's like, well, I want to protect them from the things that i think will you know make or would they be too nervous and and i do i need will that strike a a fear pattern that i don't want to have to deal with right now but then you still but but you you can't avoid that if if uh, your team is saying if i didn't if i don't know more often then i'll start thinking things that you probably don't want me to think in um and or, or forget about and so it is uh yeah, I, I, you know, I think the a big message today has been a lot about consistency and getting a lot of, of multiple touches at different roles and at different conversations. But um, that would allow us to just stay in more in tune and we'll fight the good fight when we have to together rather than you know, put it on the shoulders. And, and, I, and I have to keep reminding myself that especially this year, I'm doing a lot of things on my own right now to fill in some gaps. And I probably should be asking for more help or sharing more to see what other people's solutions are. But there's always tomorrow and there's always next winter to figure this all out. So we got, well, exactly. next winter, I've got a plan that's going to come into perfect. Right? That is going to be the best one.
2: Put it on the winter
1: list. Oh, <laughs> that's it. All right, Miles, let's see what roses and thorns. Let's let Doug, why don't you give us a rose and thorn? What, what's been going well in your world or what's been uh, sort of annoying or uh, a challenge for you?
0: Not for me. Yeah. Um, no. Oh. oh, for Doug.
1: Doug guest. We'll give oh,
0: the guest
2: okay, the so, first shot. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Doug. Yeah. So my rules, I, I teased it a little earlier, but I, I got to go to a Bruins game. And that was the first time that I had been in Boston in two years, actually, which was which was crazy. And I used to go to them often. So so that was it was fun. It was fun to get back in the garden, see a Bruins game. Um my thorn is uh customers dragging their feet on contracts. It seems like every year it's later and later and we're, we're having a, a really good spring here, like the weather's been great, where we're eating up the work that's like come in the door at this point. And so we're just sitting on a whole bunch of both renewals and new contracts that customers are dragging their feet on. So that's been a little bit of a thorn here at Landscape America.
1: Yeah. No, that's not just landscape America. That's, uh, I think all over this Northeast and feeling that same, same kind of experience of, uh, the delays. It's, you come out of winter and and this winter especially was just a, a big flash winter's over spring opportunity for spring is showing up. You're ready to go, but yet the customers and, uh, and everybody's not aligned or did we get all our, you know, our ducks in a row with the renewals and process and things like that. And so it's, uh, we're falling in that same kind of boat. Um I, I, I'll say that, you know, just the anxieties of spring can sometimes make those thorns become really big right now. And just, are we ready? And uh, lots of things to do. And so constantly thinking through, through those things for, for me um, and, and roses, it's just, you know, beautiful weather is starting to show up. So I'll take that opportunity. And I got my twin night now going to be nine year old birthday weekend. So for some reason a birthday is not just one day in my house. It's, I've got uh, Saturday kid birthday, Sunday some you know another little side birthday party, and then Monday's the birthday. I don't know how that happened, but I got three days of birthday parties to have to host for my my kids, and so I'm gonna be pretty damn tired. This weekend will not be the restorative weekend <laughs> that I will need. It'll be right back at it. So how, how about you, Miles? What's your world <laughs> looking like?
0: <laughs> i'm cheering for
1: you brett <laughs> all right yeah come on give me some. give me give me your life so i could have your life for a couple of days thank <laughs> you I was
0: like, my life yeah, yeah so uh yeah so i'm going to the bahamas and this weekend um i'm just <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah. Uh, no uh yeah so things that are good i ran a half marathon last weekend um this weekend i got the cherry blossom 10 miler which should be really pretty so um i think that that'll be a lot of fun um that's that's a big rose i got a friend coming into town i haven't seen her in a while so that'd, that'd be cool um yeah I, I think the the general like rose is that uh dc is like kind of like kicking back up his year kind of like what you're saying doug like where you can go back into boston it's like finally it's like people are like having parties and like networking and like i can meet new people it's like it's, it's interesting i'm not like so it's 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 pretty cool um and things are really good at um uh just like yeah it's just it's just cool especially with um with my job my day-to-day i just love it every day so it's it's really cool um thorns um i don't yeah i don't really have any right now i don't i yeah besides just like normal sweet yeah just like normal stress but other than that it's like nothing really
1: the burn that will come after the 10k because you're gonna have to haul ass man it's just a 10k run like run like the wind
0: it's it's a 10 miler, so oh a 10 miler. Okay, so yeah, run so it's just like do 50, it. Right. So 15k, but I'll have to my goal is to run like between like a 70 and 80 minute 10 miler, so which is like in between like a sub seven minute per mile pace, like like in that range. Oh. So
1: there'll be a thorn after that one. You'll be sucking somewhere. I'll, I'll be I'll be sorry <laughs> yeah, yeah the ice uh, <laughs> bath that you're gonna get in is gonna be a big thorn. <laughs> oh go yeah. yeah. <laughs> it yeah,
0: it, it'll be fun though. Um it's the course goes like right underneath like all the cherry the cherry blossoms um right alongside the river and it's it's pretty cool and it finishes right by the the washington monument so it's yeah it's like moments like that i'm like yeah it's pretty cool that i live in dc you know um Mm. there's other moments i'm like what like what am i doing but (laughs) here we are so uh
1: but cool all right yeah thank Uh, you doug great great conversation
2: yeah, it's, I've had a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thank you. We're getting
0: yeah, good at this, Miles. It.
1: We're getting real good at doing this We're stuff, get, aren't we? Yeah,
0: I mean, it's good when we have good guests, you know. And
1: uh, that's it. Good point. It yeah, doesn't have a it doesn't have a beard, but he's you know he's cool. So yeah, I, we'll, I can't uh, grow a beard. No chance. Right. no chance.
0: You know, uh, we might have to invite him back on for like a strategy session type deal because like I saw Doug Doug perk up. and He's like, oh yeah, you know, like. Do it.
1: We'll, we'll book you we'll book you again nice. in the winter, when you're planning I'm in yeah
0: I'm in. <laughs> cool all right well Doug appreciate it again for you coming on um, and a big thank you to our listeners don't forget to subscribe leave a review share with your friends family co-workers the whole the whole uh, the whole group you know uh, so <laughs> go ahead Brett everybody, just bring, just, just, bring everybody just, just bring it on bring everybody just bring it on yeah yeah Cool. All right, everybody, take care. See ya. See ya.